Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Our text continues. The next day they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. That is noon. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, while lunch is getting ready, he falls into a trance, fell into a trance and saw heaven open. And an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And then, of course, the sheet opens up. And verse 12 says, In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter, who's having the vision, says, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Verse 16, This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. And here our video picks up again with verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. 
talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So begins the conversion of the first group of Gentiles. There had been one Gentile converted previously, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch, also a proselyte to Judaism. And this is the story of the conversion of a group of Italians. Yeah, the King James Version says that um, Cornelius was a leader of an Italian band. Maybe you've heard them, the Great Accordions. The regiment of soldiers, he was a centurion. He was leader of a, of a group that was as large as a hundred men, sometimes around 80 to 100. And uh, he was a devout man. He had not fully converted to Judaism. He had not been circumcised or done the mikvah, but he was a God-fearer and he gave money to the poor. And living in Israel, no doubt, most of that giving went to poor Jewish people. And he prayed daily, several times, and was a godly man. And so God blesses him by sending the gospel to him and his household of the first group of Gentiles to hear the gospel as a group. And you do not want to miss next week. If you're not a Jew, you want to be here next week. Because this is a story of how the gates of the kingdom of heaven were open to us and the ministry of Jesus included us. We're on a journey verse by verse through Acts talking about Christ's ministry continuing from the four gospels to the fifth gospel, from Luke's second book, the Acts of the Apostles. The church is born. It ends after 28 chapters, but we, it, never, it doesn't end. There's no the end page. It just continues and continuing in us. And we want to learn from our forefathers what we can learn from them, their lifestyle and their commitment to continuing this Jesus agenda, this mission of the Messiah to do our part in the earth and making history. Who wants to be part of that? So we are looking at Peter. Um, he was originally from Capernaum, which is up there in the Galilee region. And the Lord stretched him by resettling him in Jerusalem, but telling him, don't leave here until you're endued with power. And of course, he got endued with power and the Holy Spirit led them to stay there and plant this mega church in Jerusalem where people from all over the world were members and they lived communally for eight years and the persecution caused them to scatter. And in the scattering, the gospel got taken north to Samaria where Peter went to lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And he preached the gospels to the Jews in the villages between Samaria and Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, he obeys the Lord and goes to Lydda, where he ministers to a sick man. And then he gets called to go to Joppa, where there was a dead woman that needed to be raised from the dead. Now, Joppa is like a day's journey. I mean, if you look at what 20 kilometers is, uh, how many is, that's like 12 miles, right? Um, that's about 12 miles as the crow flies, but it could be further than that, but it was at least a day's journey from Lydda. So the woman was dead in Joppa, and they had washed her and laid her in the upper room and then sent 
people to Peter. They made a day's journey to get to Peter. And then when Peter made it back to Joppa, she'd been dead for two days. So this resurrection was an awesome miracle. Now, Jesus had taught his disciples to go from village to village and to preach the gospel. So Peter was doing that. But he also told them, whoever extends hospitality to you, you have to stay in that house and not go to another house while you're in that village. He did not want to establish the wrong protocol. So this is a protocol. If you go to another community and preach the gospel and you're rejected, leave there. Let the dust come off your shoes and move on. But if they are accepting of you, stay with whoever says, hey, stay with me, and stay there as long as you're in that community. What's the logic behind that? Well, if you open your doors to somebody to stay in your home and they decided, you know, a few days later to go stay somewhere else in the same community because they had a nicer house, what would that make you feel like? Chopped liver, right? So it's all about establishing relationships. There's something significant about where you are staying that you can have the most influence in that person's life. And lo and behold, the door that opens to Peter is Simon's house that the Bible calls Simon a tanner. Oh, tan hide's nice. I love the smell of new leather, but have you ever thought about the process, especially in those primitive days of tanning hides? This was a stretching experience. This guy had a smelly occupation. And according to Leviticus 11, if you touch a dead articus, uh, articus, if you touch a dead carcass, you are unclean until evening and you have to wash and wash your clothes and everything. So Peter's around this guy he can't even shake hands with lest he too become unclean until evening. So it's not a most comfortable place to stay. Who can see that? In fact, in Judaism, they have the Mishnah, which is an addition to the Word of God. Jesus often had exceptions to the Talmud in his teachings. Uh, it's like the Torah wasn't enough. They had to create more fence laws and, and loopholes. And the Mishnah... I found this this morning uh, in the Kedubat 7, verse 10. It sets forth the grounds upon which a husband can be forced to divorce his wife. Listen to these grounds. Here's what the Mishnah says. These are the men whom we force to divorce their wives. A man smitten with boils, a man who has halitosis, or polypus is what they call it, a gatherer of handfuls of excrement, a refiner of copper, and a tanner. So it must have been pretty rough to be married to a guy like that. In these cases, a wife can demand a divorce since her husband is unbearably odious. So men, it's important it's right there in the Mishnah that we bathe every day, that we smell good. And for goodness sake, don't put on deodorant until after you bathe. Did you bathe? No, but I put on deodorant. Oh, my God, that makes it worse. So Peter, no doubt, is being stretched staying here. But you know what? He's used to being stretched. He had to move from Galilee to Jerusalem, and then he had to uh, share leadership of this new baby church that was being born with lots of widows that needed food. That was stretching. And then a church full of people hosting a church, a bigger 
church full of people who are from out of town. So eventually they run out of money. The, the town doesn't have enough hotels. And so eventually people have to have guests. How many of you have had guests at your house that have stayed and stayed and stayed? It's biblical to be hospi- hospitable and to host people in your home. And our culture, I recommend that if you're going to host somebody in your home, that you have a time period. Now, Christians don't listen to me because they're so full of the love of God and then things go south and they're not friends today because they couldn't take it anymore and they kicked the friend out and the friend feels betrayed because they didn't get a warning and the host feels betrayed because they feel they got taken advantage of. Listen to the pastor for once. Have a set time period. Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Is it two months? Is it three months? That's, the reason for that is two reasons. Number one, the person staying with you knows to get their act together because there's a deadline coming. People need deadlines. They just do. You don't like deadlines? Well, I don't like them either. But people need them. It helps them get their act together. And then the host also needs it. When they've had just about enough, they remind themselves, yes, I said three months. Yes, we're, we're, we're three weeks away. Yes, I can do it. I can do it. The early church did not have that luxury. They didn't know it was going to be eight years. They didn't know. It was helping people till they get a house, till they get their house built. I mean, they weren't just on vacation. They were living there. Nobody wanted to go home because there wasn't no church back home. And so God allowed persecution to take place to get them going back. They had been well discipled. So Peter had been stretched. And here he is staying with Simon. This is also a stretching deal. And then God gives him this stretching vision of all these unclean animals, according to the Torah, that he was to kill and eat. And Peter said, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Not so, no. And then the Lord said, don't call common or unclean what I have cleansed. What God has cleansed, don't you call common. He has that vision three times. And then the blanket goes back up into heaven. I mean, this thing came from heaven, these unclean creatures. According to Leviticus 11, wasn't only just don't touch carcasses, but there were laws about not eating mammals that had cloven hoofs but didn't chew their cud, or mammals that chewed their cud and didn't have cloven hoofs. So they couldn't eat swine, they couldn't eat camels, couldn't eat donkeys, couldn't eat horses, couldn't eat rabbit. When it comes to seafood or freshwater food, they couldn't eat anything that didn't have fins or scales. So they couldn't have shark, they couldn't have snails, they couldn't have shrimp, they couldn't have lobster. Now, to some people, this is no big sacrifice, but if you're a Cajun, this is bad news. <laughs> says, you shall regard as an abomination among the birds, eagles and vultures and buzzards and falcons and ravens and ostriches and owls and seagulls and hawks and storks and herons and bats. And flying insects you can't eat. Oh, that's great. But you can eat locusts and crickets and grasshoppers. 
Yes, John the Baptist had locusts to eat. Don't believe the preacher that said, well, he was eating fruit from the locust tree. Locust trees don't have fruit anyway. He was eating locusts. That's what the Bible says. It was kosher. Good form of protein, I guess. In fact, if you touch these things, you were unclean until evening and you had to wash your clothes. <laughs> so if you wanted to annoy the heck out of a Jew, just grab a bat and touch him with it. You'd be upset. Creeping things. They couldn't eat lizards or mice or rats or moles or geckos or chameleons or monitors. So you get the gist. He has this vision. This mess. God's messing with his brain. What is he doing? Well, there's a form of communication called metaphor. God uses metaphors too, just like people do. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He said, it's better to go to heaven maimed and blind than it is to go to hell whole. What is he saying? Cut your hand off? Nobody's hand makes them sin. You know, that's not a good plea bargain. Well, I killed him because my hand did it, you know. He's saying be extreme by cutting the things out of your life that are making you sin. Stay away from stuff. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a liquor store to get a Coke. I'm sorry. Well, Cokes are better there. That's in your imagination. Now, Mexico, they are better, but you can buy those at ATB. Stay away from the things that tempt you. So is he telling Peter, man, you need some good pork chops? No. Now, did Peter eventually eat those? I think he probably did. But that wasn't the point of this vision. The point was be willing to recognize what God is cleansing and not allow your culture to block you from what God's doing. What is it in our life that we're resistant to because it's contrary to our culture. And yet God is calling us to, to host in our home or to be hosted by. I don't know. Our topic today is blessed are the flexible. Peter was flexible. How many glad that he was? We wouldn't be here today if he wasn't. God uses flexible people. If they're, if they're not flexible, he, he doesn't use them. When he says go to the right, he wants us to go to the right. He says go to the left, he wants us to go to the left. Chuck Smith used to say this, and Pastor Shake, I learned this from him, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken or bent out of shape. We need to be Flexible. Blessed are the flexible. Now, what we're talking about here is us becoming flexible, not the Word of God. We live in a culture that doesn't want to be flexible, but they want to make the Word of God stretch and fit their sinful lifestyles rather than conform. We are conformed by the renewing of our mind to the things of God, not to the world. Jesus said, fall on the rock and be broken, lest the rock fall on you and you be ground into powder. So when I'm talking about flexibility, I'm talking about us as people and the resistances in our life that say no to what God is calling us to do. So we're going to look at seven keys on being flexible. Any one of these can change your life if, 
If it applies to you, hit it home, grab it. If the others don't, grab the one that does hold to you. It is best, can we say best? To live in light of God's reality. Not in light of a dream world, but God's reality. Oh, I wish I was a missionary to Africa. Well, you're not. You're here. So be real and do something here. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We're not self-made men and women. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So the reality that we live in light of is God's ownership. Anything we have has been given to us by Him to use for His purposes. So we are stewards. God's given you a nice house. That's for you to use as His stewards. God's given you a, a big vehicle. That's for you to use as His stewards. What is God calling you and I to do with our things? We won't do it if we're inflexible. It's not good to live in the dark of our denial. When we don't live in the light of reality, we live in denial. And to deny God's ownership is like these metaphors in Isaiah concerning the potter and clay. God is like the potter and we are like the clay. He said in Isaiah 29, 16, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? You know nothing. No. But this is what we often do with God. Well, I just don't like that scripture. Or I just don't like those kind of people. We're being like rocks rather than like clay, are we not? Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, chapter 45. Those who are nothing but potsherds. What's a potsherd? Broken pottery. Among the broken pottery on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? No, but it's what we do when we say no to God's calling. Yet, he comes to a place of compliance. Chapter 64, yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. In chapter 9, Paul is talking about predestination and God's right to do what he wants to. He says, has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Of course, He's the potter. He can turn that clay into a teapot or a toilet. It's his choice, right? The clay has no say-so. Well, I thought this was a democratic thing. No, it's not. It's a God thing. It's a kingdom. He's the king. We're not. Not good to live in the dark of our denial. Loving history should not prevent making history. Any history lovers in the house? Anybody read anything by David McCullough? Is he not awesome? Oh my goodness, he'll make you, if you don't love history, read something David McCullough wrote and you will love history. Uh, Some people so love the past, they don't advance to the future. 
Look at what Isaiah said in chapter 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. It's kind of like driving down the highway. You're heading somewhere. You've got a big windshield and a little rearview mirror. But sometimes as Christians, we got a giant rearview mirror and a little bitty windshield. No wonder we're having wrecks. Looking in the past and resisting the new. Singing to the Lord a new song. There's always room for a new. It doesn't mean we leave our past behind and cut it off. No, because then we have no foundation. We build on the past, right? Line upon line, precept upon precept. So you're leaving the past behind. You're moving forward to the future. If we don't do this, we are rigid and hard, and we got one foot nailed to the floor, and we won't change when God may be calling us to change. Loving history should not prevent our making history. Humbling our minds exalts our thinking. When we think our thoughts are equal to God's or higher than God's, that's going to lead us to a big train wreck. Isaiah also said in chapter 55, see this thought could, this topic of flexibility could be taught all over Isaiah. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher, can we say higher? Higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So humbling our minds, realizing his thoughts are higher than mine, so that when he gives us a thought that we've never thought before, we're willing to check it out. Is this from God? Is it line up with the scripture or contrary to the scripture? What, I, what is God saying to me here? What do I need to change in my life that could bring to pass his will at a greater level in my life or in someone else's? Just because it's God doesn't mean it always has to benefit me. In fact, the Christ-like attitude, it benefits everybody else but me. Leaning on our understanding stifles our trust. To be flexible people in the hands of God, to be pliable potter, pottery, clay in the hands of the potter, it takes trusting the potter, trusting Almighty God. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Can we say all? And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Well, I have to know every single step before I get out of the boat. Well, if Peter was like that, he never would have got out of the boat. He never would have gone to Joppa. He never would have stayed with a tanner. He never would have, you know, the angel would would be sending those guys to Simon the tanner's house, and while they're on their journey, Peter changes houses because he's tired of the smell. No, he's conforming himself to what Jesus said, stay there and don't leave. Don't lean on your own understanding because if you do, you won't trust God. You'll trust in your understanding. God's newness is better than our old packaging. His newness is better. His substance is better than our packaging. Sometimes it seems like our culture is more obsessed with the package than the substance. Maybe it goes back to our childhood when we played more with the boxes, the toys came in than than the toys. You know why that's true? Because the box 
releases imagination. It can be a spaceship or it can be a truck or it can be a house or it can be whatever we want it to be, whereas the toy is what it is. It just is. Truck's a truck. You know, we put Lincoln Log wings on our dump trucks and tried to fly them, but it just didn't fly with the imagination. It kind of messed with us, whereas the box set you free to cut it and do what you wanted. Anyway, that's a whole other subject. We were flexible as kids, but as adults, we become perfectionists and rigid and hard. Jesus said in Luke 5, he actually said this in Matthew and Mark as well, let and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. So you'll lose the wine and you'll lose the bottle, the container. As the new wine ferments, it needs room to expand. And so new wine must be put into fresh wineskins because they're pliable, they stretch, they're flexible. And no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. What is he talking about? He's talking about our thinking. In reality, at some point, we get to where we don't like new things. Oh, I love new things. Well, not really. You like a certain amount of predictability in your life. Nobody likes to be shocked or surprised. But when it comes to the kingdom, God wants to be God in your life. You've got to be flexible. got to be able to be stretched. And he's all about newness. Everything's new. He's doing new things in the earth, using you and I for purposes that we never dreamed he would use us for. His newness is better than our packaging. Sometimes we get stuck on traditions and, and, and methods rather than the message and methods of spreading that that are new. A willing mind is more important than action. You may be doing all the right things, but if you're not willing to do the right things, there's going to be a rigidness. There's going to be a lack of, of genuineness. Talking about giving in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul said, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In chapter 9, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. So first of all, don't give if you're not willing to give. Don't put a dime in our offering boxes if you're not willing to give. And don't do it if you're not cheerful to do it. And certainly don't give what you don't have to give. Don't let the TV preacher talk you into using your credit card and trust God to provide you to pay the bill. Don't do that. God doesn't ask us to give what we don't have to what we do have. So giving with your credit card, if it puts you into debt... If it gives you mileage, that may be smart if you pay your balance off every month. But if it's getting you into debt, then the church is part of your problem. Give out of what you do have, willing and cheerfully. This is what flexibility is about. It starts with the mind, being willing to say, yes, we're all on this road to flexibility. And who knows where we're going? We're going down the path of the will of God. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. As we're on this road of flexibility, who knows where you're going to be next year? Who knows who's going to be impacted by your ministry that's going to change your life five years from now in ways that wouldn't happen 
if you and I were not flexible. The early church was flexible. They had to be. It was, they were forced to be. Do we want to be forced to be flexible? I don't want to be forced to. I want to, I want to be willing. I don't want persecution to drive me to evangelize my neighbor. I want, to, I want to do it from a willing heart. And there are opportunities all around you and I for ministry that we're not taking advantage of. Why? need for flexibility, a need to be stretched, a need, a, 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 a need to do what we've never done before. Josh Snodgrass is coming. He, like others in the church, are doing things outside the walls and outside the bulletin that is in alignment with God's will for their life. He does a Bible study at work, one lunch break a week. They have an hour lunch break. It's time for a Bible study. One day he and the co-worker were, were talking about, hey, let's do a Bible study. And uh, they tried it, and lo and behold, it worked. And you've been doing it five or six years? Yep, about five or six years. What book are you going through right now? Acts. We're uh, ahead of you. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> are, are there, uh, everybody that comes, are they Christians? No, we actually, uh, we have um, a Muslim, and we've had a few that started out as you know, on the fence that have kind of turned their lives over. So. Okay. What's the, so you've been doing it several years, so you've seen the ebb and flow? Yeah, a lot of times we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll start back up and we'll have like 10 or 20 people to show up. Okay. And then within a week or so, it's, it's down to about four or fives. Okay. Um, and then, you know, generally it's, it's, it is hard. It's not just me that's flexible. It has to be the other people that are willing to give up their lunch, you know, because they're trying to get away from the office. And uh, so those that those that stay um, are usually the more of the faithful. But then they're, you know, like the the Muslim guy. Um, a part of the reason why he was coming is so that he could learn because he's going to marry a Christian woman, and he's trying to learn her religion. So found that out later on. And so he's been coming since the fifth fifth chapter of John. And you know he misses every once in a while. But I mean. He's consistently been coming, and he's, he's a blessing to us. And then there's a few that, you know, uh, that are kind of on the fence that come every once in a while. But, I mean, ultimately, the, the whole idea of this is not because of anything I'm doing, because I, I have it because I, I need that midweek Jesus. So, yeah, and I think they do too. So as you minister to others, you're being ministered to. Absolutely, yeah. So a typical format. You open with prayer, or you open the Bible, or you open your potato chip. <laughs> yeah, in fact, yeah, we always tell them they can bring lunch if they want to, but uh, we pray first. Uh, ultimately, the, the, I, I always tell anybody that comes new, this isn't my Bible study. Um, I'm, I'm, I lead it because I probably talk more than everybody here, but ultimately I'm here to hear what you guys have to say. I, I want to hear what, what God's saying to you about this stuff too, and so we'll open with prayer. It, in Jesus' name, <laughs> and then uh, uh, we, we basically go through the verses and uh, usually stop after about a paragraph or so and just, hey, what did you guys think? And I try not to talk until they're done because uh, I talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're a spontaneous guy, yeah. but you, in the sense of being flexible, you're restraining that. For the sake of others. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah, because there's that, that. That's actually part of the flexibility, I guess, is that that I, you know, ooh, ooh, I want to say something. I want to say something. But it's so much more exciting whenever I hear someone else say the very thing that I was already thinking, or 
I've, what they've actually learned over the few years is that I really get excited when I'm wrong. <laughs> Whenever they say something, and I've ne- like today when you're talking about the Tanner mm-hmm. stuff, never even thought about it, the smell. You know, but the, the idea that something either I've never thought about it that way or, or never seen it. And, I mean, you know, one of the problems at church is it, this isn't interactive, except for right now it is. But right. <laughs> it's not interactive, but the best thing about Bible study is the interaction and the fellowship. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you, Josh. I just, uh, man, that's awesome. I know others here are doing things like this in their home. I want to have you do this on another Sunday. Uh, to generate ideas to us as a flexible people. What are we not doing that we could be doing that, that somehow this building is killing ministry? I don't want that to do. I want this to be a sending center, not a seating center. Does that make sense? So what could you, know, what could you do? Maybe, maybe your, your kids are on an all-star team and you're traveling across the nation because you're going to the Little League World Series. Well, what can you do to harness that to facilitate God's working through you. Well, you could have Bible study for your team or Bible study with other chaplains or just a one-time sing-song thing around a campfire. Who knows what God wants to do through you if you just be a little more flexible and willing to think outside the box. Now, I want to end with this. We're not talking about stretching the Scriptures. We're talking about stretching ourselves being pliable in his hands. Why? Christ wants to continue his ministry through you and I. And he was a flexible guy. He was burning up at the age of 12 to get started. And his parents said no. And he waited till he was 30 before he went public. Don't you know that took some stretching on his part? And then he was stretched out on a cross when he could have called legions of angels. How much is a legion? I think it's 600, right? Could have called hundreds of angels to come and set him free. Yet he was willing to be stretched for you and I. And what does he tell us? Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Ultimately, it's about self-denial. Sorry, stuck in there with the word flexibility. But it's all about denying ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here that we would get excited, not in a shallow way, but in a a deep way, by thinking outside the box, thinking outside. There's people here that are called to preach that aren't doing it because nobody's given them an invitation, yet there's people all around. There's opportunities all around from our homes, our places of business, to nursing homes, to uh, Bible studies that can be led to exercise those gifts. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, help us, Lord, to be willing to do it and to not compare ourselves to others. Be flexible. To deny ourselves our normal comforts, to move ahead. Help us to see the things that we think are disqualifying us as things that are actually qualifying us to help hurting people. In Jesus' name.
I want to challenge you to get a piece of paper and number it one through ten and just sit through the sit before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to think creatively here. What could I do to serve others that I'm not doing? What could I do? list is done, then look at it and think what's keeping me from any one of these? Make a list of those things and work on those. Get flexible. Amen. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you get mileage out of the stuff that's stretching you right now. May you see the opportunities in the obstacles that you're facing. May they be launching pads to, to a future of you making some history where you never dreamed. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, Tigers. Greet those that you met for the first time during service before you leave. God bless you.